Nowadays, when bidding on a big project, it wasn't unusual to get price resistance from the client, who might propose a 10% or 15% reduction. That was frustrating, he says, because he never felt comfortable padding the budget to cover this kind of potential pushback on costs. If he did agree to the cut, his profit margin became so thin it barely paid to take the business. If he didn't acquiesce, He either lost the job or produced partners who were initially disgruntled because he wasn't willing to work with them on price. Then, during one proposal meeting, he accidentally hit upon a maneuver that rid him of the problem forever. It wasn't a step-by-step attempt to specify or justify each of the expenses involved in his services. He'd long since given up on that approach, which only brought scrutiny to the bill. Instead, after his standard presentation and just before declaring his $75,000 fee, he joked, As you can tell, I'm not going to be able to charge you a million dollars for this. The client looked up from the written proposal he'd been studying and said, Well, I can agree to that. The meeting proceeded without a single subsequent reference to compensation and ended with a signed contract. My colleague claims that this tactic of mentioning an admittedly unrealistic price tag for a job doesn't always win the business. Too many other factors are involved for that. But it almost always eliminates challenges to the charges. Although he stumbled onto it, my friend is not alone in experiencing the remarkable effects of merely launching a large number into the air and, consequently, into the minds of others. Researchers have found that the amount of money people said they'd be willing to spend on dinner went up when the restaurant was named Studio 97 as opposed to Studio 17. That the price individuals would pay for a box of Belgian chocolates grew after they'd been asked to write down a pair of high versus low digits from their social security numbers. That participants in a study of work performance predicted their effort and output would be better when the study happened to be labeled Experiment 27 versus Experiment 9, and that observers' estimates of an athlete's performance increased if he wore a high versus low number on his jersey. What's more, the potent impact of what goes first isn't limited to big initial numbers. Other researchers have shown that just after drawing a set of long lines on a sheet of paper, College students estimated the length of the Mississippi River as much greater than those who had just drawn a set of short lines. In fact, the impact of what goes first isn't limited to numerics at all. Customers in a wine shop were more likely to purchase a German vintage if, before their choice, they'd heard a German song playing on the shop's sound system. Similarly, they were more likely to purchase a French vintage if they'd heard a French song playing. So it's not one particular experience that guides what's done later. It can be exposure to a number, the length of a line, or a piece of music. And, as we will see in later chapters, it can be a brief burst of attention to any of a variety of selected psychological concepts. But, because this book is mainly about the things that enhance persuasion, Those chapters give special treatment to the concepts that most elevate the likelihood of assent. It's important here to take note of my choice of the word likelihood, which reflects an inescapable reality of operating in the realm of human behavior. Claims of certainties in that province 
are laughable. No persuasive practice is going to work for sure whenever it is applied. Yet there are approaches that can consistently heighten the probability of agreement, and that is enough. A meaningful increase in those odds is enough to gain a decisive advantage. In the home, it's enough to give us the means to get greater compliance with our wishes, even from that most resistant of all audiences, our children. In business, it's enough to give organizations that implement these approaches the means to outpace their rivals, even rivals with equally good cases to make. It's also enough to give those who know how to employ these approaches the means to become better, even best, performers within an organization. Take, for instance, one such best performer. We can call him Jim because, what the heck, that was his name, who worked for a firm whose training program I had entered.